listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. So good just to spend time in God's presence, hey, together. Love doing that with you all. My name is Brittany. If I haven't met you, I am the PM pastor here at Red. Um, And looking forward to speaking and sharing some of God's word. I want to actually tell you a story um, before I jump into anything else. I was meeting with a friend the other day, um, and she was just telling me about her family. She has four children, and she was telling me about a day they went out into the city to visit their father who works in there. She thought, all right, I'll take the kids out. We'll go and have lunch with him. It'd be great. Jump on the train, head into the city, and they're walking along and making their way to their father's office. And as they're going, they walk past someone in the street who's asking for money. And all of a sudden, one of her sons says, Mom, I'm feeling something. And she's like, all right, what, okay, what do you, what do you think it is? He's like, oh, I don't know, I want to do something. I think I, think I want to ask this person if they want to come to lunch with us. And she was like, yeah, yeah, okay, no, go ahead, you can do that. So he goes over and he says, hey, you want to come, want to have lunch with us? And the guy's like, nah, not really. He's like, but I am hungry. And so this young, young boy, he's 11, is like, all right, all right, goes back to her mom and says, mom, he's hungry, can we buy him something? She's like, yeah, sure. So all the kids and her run across the street, head into a supermarket to grab something for him to eat. Anyway, and they come back out and return to the spot where he was. Unfortunately, he's not there anymore, but his mate is. And he's like, oh, I'm hungry. I'll have it. What I love about that story and hearing that is this little boy realized or noticed that he had the compassion of Jesus, but he couldn't quite name it. He was stopped by that, and he was like, oh, that's, there's something there. I want to act on that. I just think it's so incredible and beautiful to hear someone that young can recognize and feel the compassion of Jesus and act on it. It was, yeah, really encouraging. Another story I wanted to tell you was um, I was chatting to a friend the other day, and they are a part of a triad, which is here at Red where we gather around the word to hear from God, to understand more of his scripture, what it means to follow him, and to pray for one another, to step into more of that. And so this triad had done that. They'd spent time in the word, and then they were like, cool, let's pray. One of them asked for prayer around their work situation, what was going on there. So the other two laid hands on to pray, which is another thing we do here at Red, and just continued to pray for what was going on. One of them happened to just put their hand on the other person's hand and just started praying asking for Jesus to be in work and just covering them in his presence. Um, and they finished the prayer time, and the girl that had asked for prayer was like, oh, my hand. Now, this girl had, um, had surgery on her hand almost a year before, and it had been a little bit stiff recently. And so the, my friend who was praying for her was like, oh, sorry, did I hurt it? Was I pressing too hard when I was praying? And she's like, no, actually, it feels a lot better. And she was like, it hasn't actually felt this good in a while. And my friend was like, but we didn't even pray for that. <laughs> but the thing is, when we're seeking Jesus' presence, when we're looking to him, sometimes his presence just brings healing because that's who he is. So we not, may not be asking for that, but when we have our eyes on him, he blesses us in so many different ways. I just love those two stories. It's so incredible to hear what God's up to and so exciting to hear about it. But why do we think that that can't be something that's just part of our everyday? Not just a surprise, but actually, oh yeah, that's just totally normal. That's that's us living our life, encountering Jesus. 
our next series is going to be looking at more of that. We've been having this year-long series called, uh, based on our tagline, More Than Me. But we're going to look at more than me every day. That actually God wants to um, enter our ordinary every day. We want to encounter him to see his glory and to ask for more of that. I have really enjoyed our previous teaching series more where we ask for more of the Holy Spirit and we've been witnessing that. Those two stories attest to that. It's almost like we've been awoken in a way to recognize when Spirit's moving, to ask, to believe that he wants to do stuff. And we are seeing it. But we want to see more. I want to see more. I'd love to hear more stories like that, right? Yeah, they'd be so good. And that's something that's actually really normal for us. We're designed to want to know more of God, to understand more of Him, to see and witness Him. It's actually something that you see in the Bible um, time and again. I love the way um, Mike Pilavaji talks about Moses as an individual like this. He was a pretty, pretty great guy. If you've been following Jesus for a while and reading the Bible, you probably would have heard about Moses. Um, but I love at the end of his life, he has encountered a lot of God, but he still asks, God, I want to see your glory. And Mike says it sounds pretty selfish for Moses because it's kind of like, hold on, this guy's seen a lot of God's glory, right? Burning bush, parted the Red Sea, saw the plagues in Egypt, spent some of his life being led by a cloud and a fire, you know, just to name a few, water out of a rock. That's a few things up there that he's seen. But he ends his life and he says, no, well, he's coming to the end of his life, sorry, and he says, but Lord, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And so in Exodus 33, God responds. And he says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Bit of an interesting answer or response to God's glory. I think sometimes we imagine God's glory in a really spectacular, big way. Um, And that's understandable because he is the king of the universe. He speaks and a world is created. He can move mountains. He can, yeah, create oceans. He can, there's nothing he's like can't do. And so I think sometimes when we think about glory, it's got to be this big, magnificent thing. And that's true. That is a part of who God is. But actually when God reveals his power, it's not just for the sake of that. It's actually a revelation of his love. And that's what Moses encounters. Anytime we see God's glory, we actually wonder more at his character, of who he is. If you notice in this passage, there's a couple of key things that tell us about who God is. The three words that I want to highlight are goodness, mercy, and compassion. When God's glory comes, that's actually what we encounter, his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. And we see this not only in the Old Testament with Moses and in this passage, but also in Jesus. How many times throughout the Gospels do we read about Jesus responding to people out of compassion? Like when he fed the 5,000. Or whenever he brings healing, he has compassion on these people that are brought to him. He loves them. He wants to show God's goodness. Even when he weeps with Mary and Martha when Lazarus has died, he has such compassion and love. We see so much of that in Jesus. And not only that, it continues on after Jesus has risen. 
in Acts with the apostles and the disciples. There's so many wonderful stories in Acts. And I think we've, again, if you've grown up reading the Bible, there's a particular part in Acts that we really get excited about, that we dream and hope that our lives could look like. I certainly know I do. It's in Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And again, it echoes God's goodness, mercy, and compassion. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts in general as a book is one of, one of my favourites to read because it is so much story. You hear about Peter and John going out and healing people and then being thrown into prison and then being miraculously taken out of prison. You hear about Paul and all the trips that he made. You actually run into Holy Spirit throughout all of Acts. You run into God's presence, into his glory, his compassion, his mercy and his love in there. It's so fun to read. But I wonder, sometimes when we read the Bible, something happens with us. It's a really good story, as I've said, or it's like, yeah, that was really cool for that time. But that doesn't really count now, or that's not happening now. And even the people I've mentioned maybe are like, yeah, Britt, well, that's great. It's Moses. He's like a spiritual giant. Of course he's going to see God's glory. And I just want to call out what causes us to think that way. I want to call out two things that leads us to read the Bible like that. The first one is cynicism, which is pretty pervasive in our culture. And it's that thought that comes that says, yeah, but that's probably not really going to happen, is it? We read Acts, we're like, yeah, but that was for them, not really now. And the second lie is perfectionism, or based on perfectionism. I can't really do that because I'm not Moses. I'm not spiritual enough. And so we create this gap and this separation from the text and what we believe and see and know and read and from us and our lives. But you know what? We actually have a choice to listen to those lies or not. I really like what Eugene Peterson says about this. He said, It is, of course, far easier to languish in despair than to live in hope. For when we live in despair, we don't have to do anything or risk anything. We can live lazily and shiftlessly with an untarnished reputation for practicality, current with the ways things appear. It is fashionable to espouse the latest cynicism. If we live in hope, we go against the stream. I find this to be a very confronting (laughs) statement. But also, it articulates so much of what I experience, I know you guys experience in Melbourne, in the time and place we live in, where there's an ease to just be like, yeah, maybe it won't happen. Like a default, almost, to listen to that lie. But actually, we do believe that there's more. We do believe and live in hope. Because if you are following Jesus, if you're here tonight and you say, yeah, I follow Jesus, you've already done that in a way. You believe in something that is unseen and unknown. I love a particular passage in 1 Peter that talks about this. It's 1 Peter 1, 8 to 9, and it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is Jesus. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you have not seen Jesus, maybe you have, but many of us have not seen Jesus, you love him. Isn't that incredible that this is a hope that we have? And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So we have a choice, and we've already made one of those choices, to live and believe and hope in Jesus. So why can't the rest of our faith look that way? To continue on with that hope. And we have a choice. We have a choice to believe that actually what happened in Acts can happen now. We can believe that. We can choose to believe that. And I also want to ask you or say that we can choose to believe that we're meant to be followers of Jesus. We're meant to be disciples of Jesus. That's true. But also, we are meant to minister like Jesus. You are designed to minister like Jesus. Have you ever considered that? actually called to that as well, to not just follow him, but minister like him. You know what really distinguishes us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, is that we are a people of God's presence. So it's not really about what we can and can't do. It's all about who we're with. We're with Jesus. And Jesus promised us that he will be with us to the end of the age. He says it in Matthew 28. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. His presence is always with us. Jesus also said in John 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We're meant to minister like Jesus. And he said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things. That's incredible. Jesus gave himself certain names. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I give life, or I point to the way, but I am the life. I am the way. And we receive life by being close to Jesus, by being in his presence. But do we believe that? Do we believe him when he says that he will be with us to the end of the age? Do we believe him when he says that we're designed to do greater things than he did? Again, maybe those lies have crept in. Yeah, but I don't know, Brett. Like, Jesus did some pretty incredible things. I don't know if I could do that right now. Probably not right now. Or, hey, uh, Brett, I'm not holy enough. You're comparing me to Jesus. Perfectionism, again, those two lies lingering. But we actually don't have to agree with those lies. We can respond to them. 
And so in that moment when we hear, oh, actually, I don't really know if that's for now, instead of being like, okay, I agree with that, move on, go, hold on, actually, no, I don't want to agree with that. There's a particular passage in Mark, and it's a story about a father who brings his possessed son to Jesus, desperate for him to be healed. And Jesus talks to him about the fact that he does want to heal him and to believe in that. And the father says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And so when that cynicism comes with that question, yeah, well, is it really going to happen? Firstly, we call it out for what it is and we say, no, I'm not going to agree with that. And then we use scripture and we say, I do believe, Jesus, that you are real and you want to act here and now. Help me in my unbelief. That's our response. That's our prayer. The word is designed to be used like a sword, to cut through the lies and to bring truth. Secondly, like perfectionism. What I really, really don't like about the enemy, that he is, firstly, he's the father of lies, but what he likes to do is take lies and then mix it with a bit of truth so it becomes really difficult to distinguish actually what's going on. It's probably one of his favorite things. And so when we hear, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, I'm weak, there actually is some truth in that. We are weak. We're never going to be enough or worthy enough. But it's actually really powerful to sit in that place. Because as, it's, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when he was calling out to God about this, about his weakness, Father said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When it comes to that question of merit, of being worthy enough, the only person whose merits matter is Jesus. That's what the cross means to us. It brings us two undeserved gifts. Firstly, the forgiveness of sins, and secondly, the gift of the Spirit. So when that lie comes in, perfectionism, you're like, I'll never be enough. There's that space to go, yeah, that's right, but Jesus is enough and I'm saved by him. And when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. And that's always going to be enough. That's always going to be enough. Been preparing for this sermon and this series. We've been reading um, Everyday Supernatural. It's by Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft. A really easy read and actually a very fun one. I actually kept coming back to it. Sometimes you read books and you're like, I can't get it. I've got to keep going back. got to keep understanding what's going on. This one, I was like, ooh, what's next? Where are they going to go? Um, it's a bit of a conversation as well throughout. They're quite funny. But what, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from this book that has actually really lingered with me is this one made by Mike. He says, that is, if it is true that God's power is made perfect in weakness, that has to mean God's power is not made perfect in our strength. Why? Because when we know our weakness, we trust in his strength. When we know our weakness, we trust in his strength. 
That's why God delights to use delights to use people who know they are weak. So you don't need to wait until you are sorted, whole, mature, and know your Bible back to front before God can use you. God can use you now. And he'll sort you, heal you, and make you whole on the way. For whatever reason, God has chosen to use the ordinary, the weak, the sinful, the broken, the foolish, someone like me, someone like you, to reveal who he is, to advance his kingdom. He has chosen us to do that. Father, God sent the Son, and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit, and now the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is sending us to be ambassadors for his kingdom. And we're asked to be filled with Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about over the last couple of months, that we might go out and share Jesus with others, share that presence, and may that happen every day. We're designed not to just speak about the kingdom, but to reveal it. God didn't just, I'm sorry, Jesus, God, Jesus, Spirit, Trinity. Um, (laughs) Jesus didn't just say, "Um, go and pray for the sick. He said, go and heal the sick. We're not just going to talk about the kingdom, we're going to reveal it. We're going to see it come before, before our eyes. And we can go out confidently because we do so in the authority of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. When we read that passage before in Matthew 28, it starts by saying, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we have Jesus with us. So all authority in heaven and earth dwells within you. Woo! It's a pretty incredible thought. We are equipped not only with Jesus' presence, but the gift of the Spirit. And these are things that we're not designed to boast about, these gifts that we're given. They're actually tools of the trade to bring the kingdom to life, to partner with the Holy Spirit in that. But maybe you're thinking, cool, once I work out my gifts, kind of get that sorted, I'll step out. I'll know where I'm going. I know kind of what I can do. Everything will be fine. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually quite work that way. If we get caught up in the hunt for clarity around our gifts, uh, we actually will never grow in our faith. This crazy thing about God is he loves to do like 10, 15 things at once. He wants you to step out in your faith so that grows. But also as you do that, someone else encounters Jesus in that moment and faith has grown in them. He wants to do so many things at one time. And we are designed to follow his lead. And so it's not just going out on a limb and taking all these risks. It's saying, actually, God, when you speak to me, I'm going to respond. I'm going to do that. And our faith is received, or faith is received by acting out on what we already have. And what you hear, acting out on that, that's enough. Your faith will grow. But then maybe that cynicism comes in. Yeah, but what if I get it wrong? What if I didn't actually hear God? What if nothing happens? Respond. Don't want to agree with that. No, I choose. I do believe, God, that you speak. I do believe that you want to move right now. Help me in my unbelief. 
and then step out. And do you know what? We actually will struggle with doubt sometimes. This life of faith is not one without doubt. If you look at the 12 disciples, I mean, that happened a lot in their lives. I'm so glad we have them for many reasons, but also to be like, oh, that's right, I'm just as human as they were. But Jesus still loved them. He still spoke over them and into them and used them. That's what you read about in, the, in Acts. And do you know what? We're here because of the way that they ministered and released the kingdom. So a life of faith isn't one free of doubt, but it's one where we keep expecting God to be faithful even in the midst of our questions. His faithfulness doesn't change, even if we kind of falter and wonder. Second one, if we're going to walk out in these gifts, that perfectionism thought kind of comes in as well. Right, I need to make sure I can do it right. This gift, I've got to kind of work it out, get the pattern kind of just right before I'll step out. I <laughs> encountered this very recently in the last 24 hours. I was writing this sermon and... Um, Sermon writing is one of those wonderful creative processes, which is a real joy, but you've got to kind of trust the process. Anyway, I hit a bit of a wall with my sermon and had this really good idea, and I was thinking, okay, this is how you do a sermon, so you've got to fit it in this way, and then, you know, you lead to that, and I just couldn't get past this particular thing. And I was like, what's going on? Why isn't it working? I'm doing it the right way. And then, all of a sudden, I started laughing. I was at home by myself. would have sounded incredibly mad. But anyway, I started laughing, being like, oh my goodness, I'm preaching on this and I'm doing it. I'm being a perfectionist. Once I get it right, this is going to be such a good sermon, God, and it's all going to be perfect. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing that. But I believe that God has given me the gift to teach and to grow in that. And so I love that he reminded me of that, that as I'm writing this sermon, remember he's doing 15 things at once, He's like, Brit, how about you practice what you preach? And I encountered his grace in that moment. And I was like, I'm sorry, Father. Let me put this down. What do you want to say? How do you want the sermon to go? And so much, as I've been reading about this, as I've been thinking about it, so much of us walking in the Spirit is actually an act of receiving grace. God's grace is all over it. We're designed to respond to him the best way we know how, with what we believe we hear of him. And whether we get it right or wrong, he covers that in grace. And if that means an interaction with someone else, his grace also covers that in their life. And so there's so much freedom in that. I felt so much peace last night when I could sit and be like, God, this is yours, and I trust you. But I am weak. But in my weakness, there's strength because that's where you get to move and work. And you know what? It's good that it's meant to be that way, that we recognize our weakness in that because then it means the glory goes to God. And you know what? Like Jesus, our motivation should be compassion, not success. So when we are given opportunities to walk in the Spirit, to pray for someone, to share a word, to walk in our gifts, let's recognize that actually it's one of those moments to minister as Jesus did. 
And it's not about what it looks like or where it's going to head. It's about sharing those things, God's glory, his mercy, compassion, and goodness. This next series is actually what we're going to be talking about. If more of this, to expect more, to encounter more of God's glory, to live more of that out, outside of these walls, during our week. It doesn't mean that we're going to become super Spiro. Just want to call that out. You might be like, yeah, Britt, um, seems okay to share a word when I'm in church, but when I do it out there, I don't really know how I'm going to be received. My people might think I'm weird. But actually, let me remind you of what we're taking with us. We're taking God's presence. We want to see his glory. And what is God's glory? His mercy, compassion, and goodness. Last time I checked, that's not that weird. That's what people are actually looking for and hungry for. And how he chooses to do that, how he chooses to use you, that's actually up to him. It's Jesus' ministry, so it will be in his timing and in his way and for his glory. What he asks of us is to expect it, to believe in it, and to respond to him, to be a part of releasing that. And do you know what? We are going to get it wrong sometimes, and that's totally okay. Or we might actually see that it works out a little bit differently than what we had imagined. And sometimes obedience is trusting in what God is saying to you, irrelevant of where you know or where you, like knowing where it will go or what it will look like. Because it's not our responsibility to work that all out. But we do have the ability to respond to God in that moment. Do you know what? Here at Red, we believe the ministry of Jesus is for the whole church, for every person in this room. It's not just for a select few or the elite. Because you know what, if we're ever going to tell the world effectively about Jesus to bring his kingdom here and now, we all need to live and be excited about Jesus' presence in us and confident that he goes with us. We're all anointed to bring God's kingdom here and now. So what is the key to living life in the spirit, to expecting God to enter into our ordinary, into our everyday The key is relationship with Jesus. As we stay close to Jesus, we will continue to see him move in us and through us. Because the power of the kingdom is in the presence. And his presence is in us. what we've been hearing about, these stories I shared at the start, they're just the beginnings of things. He's already moving. We've already recognized his presence in us. And we're called to continually ask for more of that. But not just to ask and receive just for ourselves, but actually we're designed to receive it so that we can release it. What you've learned, the freedom he's brought in your life, is designed to be released so others may have freedom, so others may meet him in that way. And what are we releasing? We're releasing the gifts. We're receiving his grace and releasing his grace. We're receiving his compassion and releasing his compassion. 
mercy and goodness because that's God's glory and our world needs it and I'm hungry for more of it and I know that you guys are too. So we're going to head into some ministry time now. I love it, Red, that we don't want to just talk about who God is. We actually want to spend time with him, allow him to speak to us, to fill us. So I'm going to pray for Holy Spirit to come as we do that. And we're going to actually, yeah, take this opportunity to have communion. It's up on stage, as you can see. So grab a cracker, dip it in the juice. And then I encourage you to find a space on the sides or even back at your seat and just sit holding um, the cracker and the juice as a representation of Jesus' presence with you. You take that in to ask for more of his presence. In fact, if you really want to ask for more and you want someone else to do that with you, there will be people to pray on the side as well for a blessing to be anointed to go out, to receive and release more of the kingdom. So I'm going to get you to stand. I'm going to pray and ask Holy Spirit to speak to us and to fill us with more of the presence of Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your goodness, for the ways that you have shown us compassion and mercy time and again, over and over and over again. We are so thankful. And in this moment, Father, we ask for more. We ask for more of your presence. I thank you that we can ask in confidence because you delight in giving your Holy Spirit. And you call us to ask and believe in you. So, Father, will you fill us anew with your presence, that we may carry it as we leave these walls, that we may be changed by it and see others changed by it. Holy Spirit, may you have your way with us as we sit and take this communion, as we remember and thank Jesus for what he did, that you have made us worthy. We love you, Father. Amen.